Well, look, um, please keep your Bibles open there on page 708. Um, We are continuing our sermon series in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, also known as the fifth gospel because of its magnificence and importance in the whole Bible. I've described it previously as us climbing up this mountain together over nine weeks with these breathtaking views at the top of God and his plans and purposes for the whole world. And today in chapters 24 and 25, we are given a breathtaking view into the future, the far future, the very end of time. And I put it to you, this is a wonderful privilege that God, our maker, the creator, that God who sees the end from the beginning is revealing this to us through his prophet Isaiah. So we today can know how history is going to end, how it's all going to play out. You hear people today talk a lot about being on the right or wrong side of history. I don't know if you've ever caught up in any of those debates. It can be around Brexit or Black Lives Matters or COVID vaccinations or trans right. And if you're on an online debate and if you agree with someone, they'll say, you know, they'll affirm you and say, well, you're on the right side of history. But if you disagree with someone, suddenly you're condemned and they say, you're on the wrong side of history. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a conversation, you heard something um, like that. I think it's a powerful rhetorical device. I doubt any of you, any of us here today, I want to be <laughs> end up on the wrong side of, of history. And we want to go to, to bed at night with a clear conscience, knowing that you know, as best as we can in the power of the Spirit, we are, are living our lives in, in, in the right way and doing the right thing and, and making the world a better place. Of course we want to be on the right side of history, but here's the problem. Unless any of us have a time machine and we can end up going to the end of history, no one knows for sure what is the right or wrong side of history now. People today look back 50 years ago and say, these people, they were on the wrong side of history, even though they were absolutely sure at the time they were on the right side of history. What's to say in 50 years' time into the future, people look back at us, or some people say they are on the wrong side of history, even though today they think they're absolutely in the right. We can only know for sure whether on the right or wrong side of history, if we know how the whole of history plays out. And that is exactly what God gives us here in this vision of the future in Isaiah chapter 24 and 25. So that's where we're going. Let's find out what does it mean to truly be on the right side of history. Two things we're going to see splits into the two chapters, a final judgment in chapter 24, and then a final salvation in chapter 25. Okay, let's start with the final judgment in chapter 24. And let me say straight up front that this is arguably one of the most sobering passages in the Bible. I don't know what you thought when you heard it read out, chapter 24, but one that we need to engage with carefully and take to heart deeply. Remember the genre we're in here in Isaiah. It is prophecy. These are very carefully crafted scenes and word pictures Um, with very vivid descriptions, okay? So let's feel the force of them. Verse one. See the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priest as for people, for the master as for his servant, for the mistress as for her servant, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. And so here God has given us, through the prophet Isaiah, 
this vision of a final judgment day that is coming upon the whole earth. Okay, this judgment has been building through chapters 13 to 23 as the Lord's judgment has fallen on the surrounding nations, and now it comes to a climax in chapter 24 across the whole earth. All people, regardless of your status in life, rich or poor, buyer or seller, slave or free, all people. And did you notice upon whom the judgment falls first? Just glance down in verse 2. We'll have a bit of feedback. Someone shout it out. Who does it fall on first? Have I lost you already? The priest, Hank said. The judgment falls on the priest, the religious leader. We must not think that we are automatically automatically inoculated from this final judgment just because we're connected to the church, just because I am a, a church leader. This judgment is going to be total, universal, complete on all people. And it's my deep heartfelt prayer that this is a verse that the House of Bishops and the Church of England are taking to heart right now. Now, why is this judgment coming on the whole earth? Let's take a look at verse 5. Because the people have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, earth's inhabitants are burned up, and very few are left. Now, you and I know, it's pretty obvious that if we try and disobey the law of gravity, try and walk off the edge of a tall building like this one, it is not going to work out well for us. So why do we think it's going to be any different if any of us disobey the law of God, the very definition of right and wrong and how to live in God's world? It is not going to work out well for us. Not in the end. And judgment will fall. It's unclear which covenant is being referred to here about the everlasting covenant. Many of the covenants in the Old Testament are described this way. But given the reference here to a curse, I wonder if this is taking us all the way back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. And so to break the everlasting covenant is to turn your back on, on our maker. It is refused to live in fellowship with the very one who has made us. And God is saying here there will be a final judgment on all those who refuse my love, refuse my salvation, refuse fellowship with me. And let me be absolutely clear that God is incredibly patient with us, with humanity. God, God makes the world, makes us, sustains us. Every breath we're taking right now is a gift from him. God has sent all the prophets throughout the Old Testament calling us back to him. God sends Jesus, his only son, to die for us, to bear our guilt so we don't have to bear it ourselves, so we can be forgiven. God gives us his word, the Bible, so we can know him, know his salvation. God gives us the church where the word is preached, Christian fellowship, Christian friends who tell us about Jesus, our consciences to draw us back to him, the whole creation to witness to him. And so, but God is saying, look, if people continue to reject, reject, spurn, spurn, turn from me, don't want me, in the end, in the very end, on the final day, well, yes, a judgment will come. The people must bear their guilt. 
and this final judgment will fall on the, in the whole earth. Now, look, I, I know we don't like the idea of a God of judgment, but if there is no final reckoning, if there's no final accounting, if there's no ultimate dealing with all the wrong in this world, all the evil in this world, then what do you and I say to a Jewish friend about Hitler? What do you and I say to a young girl who is sold into the sex trade against her will? What do we say to the boy abused by his father or the unassuming widow, grandparent, scammed out of their life savings? What do we say to any of us who have been wronged? Actually, no matter how slight, we all have that sort of longing for justice and are crying out for justice and for God to be truly loving. Well, there does need to be a, a final justice. And God is saying here in this vision, reassuring us even, that that final judgment is coming and justice will be done. All wrongs will be righted. God sees everything. He won't ultimately let it go. And did you notice in chapter 24, amidst all this judgment, in verses 14 to 16, you get the the very few who are left, they raise their voices and they're singing. And they're saying, glory to the righteous one, because that is who God is. The one person in the universe who's perfectly righteous and just and sees all evil and doesn't fly off their handle in anger but will rightly, justly make sure all wrongs are ultimately righted. This is who our God is. But if we are in any doubt as to how haunting this final judgment will be for all those who do refuse fellowship with the Lord, do reject his love, Then look, let's just take a look at verse 10. The ruined city lies desolate. The entrance to every house is barred. In the streets they cry out for wine. All joy turns to gloom. All joyful sounds are banished from the earth. The city is left in ruins. Its gate is battered to pieces. So will it be on the earth and among the nations. There is a scene in the 1991 film, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, that still haunts me 30 years later. And let me just um, describe or or read out one film critic's description of the scene. It's a beautiful, bright, sunny day on the outskirts of LA. People, families, frolic and delight at a picturesque playground. A merry-go-round spins lazily, a seesaw goes up and down, a swing glides back and forth ever higher. It is a moment of happiness and joy. Suddenly, a bright flash goes off in the distance, and everyone ducks on the ground, only for their bodies and the ground itself to smolder, smoke, and then burst into flame from the intense heat. The buildings in the distance evaporate, blown apart by a growing dome of fire that burns hotter than the core of the sun. Cars and buses are blown away like leaves off a tree on a windy day as infrastructure crumbles. Back at the playground, all those miles away, everyone is screaming at their bodies blister and char, turning their limbs into brittle ash. The shockwave from the nuclear blast reaches them and they disintegrate, their bodies becoming little more than clouds of their former selves. I'm not sure if you've seen the film, I'm not sure if you're aware of that scene. Um, I was a teenager at the time, this is when CGI effects and films were coming incredibly realistic for the first time. And watching the scene, 
made me appreciate, perhaps for the first time in a very profound way, just how serious the threat of nuclear war was and just how catastrophically grave and serious the consequence would be if that ever happened. And in a similar sort of way, that God is giving us this vision in chapter 24 of the final judgment day to help us really see, perhaps for the first time, just how serious sin is. Just how grave the consequences are for those who continue to reject God as maker and saviour and continue to refuse to turn to him right to the end of their lives. God does not want this for anyone. Let's be absolutely clear on this. He gives us this vision. He gives us Isaiah chapter 24 to warn us of it, to call us back to it, to him. But if we do want a definition of what it means to be on the wrong side of history, then here we are. Rejecting your maker, refusing daily fellowship with him, not recognizing the seriousness of your sin, and so going through life as if you know best, going along with your emotions, your feelings, your desires, even when they go against what God himself says is best. And people you know, may have a great time of it. It can be a lot of fun, just going your own way, and you can have the accolades of the world and the acclaim of your friends, but it won't ultimately last. There is a reason why the Bible calls it the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin is very pleasurable. God himself is clear on that. But it is fleeting. It will come to an end. And judgment will fall. And all joy will turn to gloom. And look, as I say that, I say that with a, a heavy heart. It's not easy to preach on, on a chapter like this. But as we hear it, we hear what God's saying to us, let me encourage each and every one of us to examine our hearts and, and our lives right now. To recognize the seriousness of sin afresh. I mean, did you notice Isaiah himself in verse 16, as he gets this vision, he is wailing, isn't he? I said, I waste away, I waste away. Woe to me, as he recognizes afresh the seriousness of his sin and what every human being deserves by nature, were it not for the amazing grace and mercy of the Lord who longs to rescue us from this judgment. So let's examine our own hearts and lives and, and keep coming back to the Lord and freely confessing our sin, turning to him repentance and faith, knowing how much he welcomes us back. And no doubt a chapter like this can't help but make us think of friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, who at the moment are living for themselves or living out of fellowship, refusing this, this fellowship with the Lord. And I hope this chapter keeps, gives us a, a deeper compassion for them right now and helps us to pray all the more for them and hopefully encourages us to be more bold and more front foot in our own sharing of our faith in Jesus with them and with others. So that's the first thing to see, this final judgment from chapter 24. Let's move on secondly now to what it means to, be on, to live on the right side of history. Because suddenly things change from chapter 4 to 25 and we get this wonderful depiction of a final salvation. And for the sake of time, let me focus in just on verses 6 to 9. So verse 6. On this mountain 
the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. This sounds a bit better, doesn't it? (laughs) But many people don't realize that the judgment and salvation are actually two sides of the same coin. That for God to redeem his creation, first of all, he needs to banish everything that mars and spoils his creation. And so, yes, judgment must fall on all the sin and evil in this world. But God's ultimate purpose is that through this judgment, there may be salvation available to all peoples. If only they would turn to him and receive it. Notice how the final salvation is described here. That firstly, as a feast of, of rich foods for all peoples. Um, in our household, all you need to do is feed our kids a McDonald's Happy Meal, and you can see the eyes sort of light up in excitement. I'm sure you've got much more refined tastes when it comes to your culinary delights. But, but the picture here is of God's people's eyes lighting up for eternity. Because here is God preparing this feast. I mean, think of the greatest three-star Michelin chef. God's got infinite stars when it comes to the meals he can provide. He serves nothing but the best. I'm conscious that the mention here of the best of meats and the finest of wines, that might be off-putting if you're vegan here, um, if you're teetotal. Um, The point is that God is doing absolutely everything he can to go all out to celebrate with his people. Now, that's the point. It's a wonderful banquet with our maker and savior. Nothing to disappoint here. The pleasures of sin are fleeting, we just said before. The pleasures of God, as Psalm 16 puts it, are forevermore. Can't imagine how satisfying this final salvation will be, this banquet with the Lord for all time. And what is it that that God's people will be celebrating at this final salvation? Well, God swallowing up death forever. Earlier on this week, in a half-term break, um, we were going out quite a bit to the park as a family, and uh, one day, a couple of my older children started joking about how old I am now and um, how much longer I'll be around. Um, at which point, one of my younger children started welling up. And he said, oh, Daddy, I don't want you to die anytime soon. Now, as a parent, that was a lovely moment for me. I thought, they do love me after all. But, like, he's, he's five years old. And already the thought of death is too much for him. Right? The sense of loss, the sense of sorrow, the sense of separation. And I know there's some of us who are feeling this very acutely right now, this week, as people close to you have died and have passed away. I mean, please do not listen to anyone that says death is just a natural part of life. Death is horrific. Death is horrible. Death tears us from our loved ones. Death reminds us of our mortality. Death makes us... And here is God promising to swallow up death forever. Forever. 
and not just that we can enjoy a meal by ourselves. The idea of a feast is you, you know, bring the whole community along and we share in each other's company and we celebrate life together. This is life as God always intended it to be with him, with one another, deep satisfaction and joy. And that is why there will be no sorrow ever again in verse 8. All the suffering and heartache and pain of this life, God says he will wipe every tear from our eyes. I mean, what an intimate picture that is. Up close and personal with God, your maker and savior, removing all that suffering and pain once and for all. All the sin we have committed in this life, all the shame we carry, God will remove it all. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Finally, free from the power of sin and the presence of sin and the consequences of our sin, it is gone, it is removed forever. And we are face to face with our maker, the eternal God, filling us with eternal joy. <laughs> what a day that will be. In that day, verse 9, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So what does it mean to be on the right side of history? It means this, trusting in him. Who? God, the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his death 2,000 years ago bore the guilt of our sin. Jesus did that for us. He took the judgment. He bore it in our place so we never need have to. And three days later, he rose from the grave. He swallowed up death forever such that if we believe in him, though we die, yet shall we live. So do you know and love this Jesus? Are you trusting in him today for your salvation? Not trusting in your works, not trusting in yourself, not trusting in your feelings, emotions, or desires, but trusting in him and his death on your behalf and his swallowing him up of death forever. Because if that is you, you can have absolute confidence that you're on the right side of history and you will dine with the Lord and all of God's people in this final day and this eternal banquet. And please don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. There are very powerful voices out there today, and actually from within, that tell us that the Bible's out of date, that we need to move with the times, get with the program, particularly in areas of gender and sexuality, that seems to be the hot potato right now for us, that you're crazy to believe what you do, that you're on the wrong side of history. I want you guys to know, God wants you to, he's saying to you, no, you're not. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, daily walking with him, yes, confessing your sins, you know you get it wrong, but wanting to be obedient to his word. I want to submit your emotions, desires to him and what he says is best. And God says you're on the right side of history. And one day I'll see you face to face and I'll wipe every tear from your eyes 
and what an eternal banquet that day is going to be. So keep living for him. Keep immersing yourself in his word. Keep dependent on him in prayer. Keep sharing your faith with others. Keep in the fellowship of the church here and trusting in Jesus. You can go to bed this night, conscious clean, knowing you are living right, making the world a better place, bringing glory to the Lord as we trust in him. Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for all that you have been showing us through the book of Isaiah so far. And today, this privileged view of the end of history, how you are going to play it all out with this final judgment, which is sobering for us to hear, but a reassurance that justice will be done but also what a picture of the final salvation and this feast you are preparing for all those who trust in you and death swallowed up forever and eternal joy, not just with you, but with one another. Please would you warm our hearts to this reality, this vision. Would we carry it with us as we go away this evening to know this is how to live life. This is the right side of history. And please give us a compassion and a humility and a love as we long to share this message of salvation with others, our friends and family, and before this final judgment day. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.